There's a lady named Lucinda Clements and her husband Samuel lived in Louisville, Kentucky in the late 30s. And uh, they lived in town, but they decided to move out to the birds. So as they moved to the birds, they began to meet neighbors and uh, they continued to go to the church that was in the middle of Louisville. But they noticed something on Sunday mornings. They noticed that on Sunday mornings, not many people left their homes to go to church. And so Lucinda, um, being the person that she was, began to ask neighbors and begin to get to know neighbors and ask them um, about Jesus, if they knew Jesus or not, if, if they went to church, asked if there was a church in the new neighborhood, and she found out with her husband that um, there wasn't a church in the new suburb, that people either chose to go, not to go to church because they didn't have a desire uh, to go to church and know Jesus, or they couldn't get there. And so through a lot of prayer and time, her and her husband prayed, and they decided to give up their Sunday school hour that they might have a Bible study in the front lawn um, and they're at their home under the oak tree for kids and anyone who wanted to come in the neighborhood. And after six, nine months of Bible study with children, adults begin to come. And within two years, uh, a church was formed, a new church in the burbs of Louisville where there didn't exist a church simply because God had put it on these two people's hearts to observe their neighborhood, and to be missionaries, ordinary, everyday missionaries, where they were. John 20, 21, Jesus says it this way to his disciples. He says, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. Do you know what a missionary is? A missionary is a sent out one. Can I say it this way? You are an everyday missionary. Do you believe that? Jesus seems to believe that his disciples, not just them then, but us now, are people sent out on mission. And you may say, I don't know about that. You know, I work at Exxon, and that's my job. That's my vocation. I'm a stay-at-home mom. I'm a teacher. I'm a lawyer. I'm a businessman. My job is, is that. I'm not a missionary. See, I think our tendency is to think vocational missionary. But the truth is, is, as you read the New Testament, that very much so, you and I as believers in Christ, if you know Jesus, you are a sent out missionary. How does that land in your heart and land in your mind? You see yourself in that way. Let me give you some stats. Uh, in Lucinda's day, there was one church to every 450 people in the Louisville area, in the south. And that would be true for Texas as well. Uh, now in the south, there's about one church for every 750 person in Texas in the South. If you're from the South and I say Texas, I know I just got that wrong. I'm sorry. Um, and, and there is one in 2,000 churches in middle of America or the West Coast for every one person, or excuse me, for every one church, there's 2,000 people. And in the Northeast, and you may know this, there is one um, church for every 7,000 people. That's an unreached people group in the Northeast. I don't know if you knew that. Some friends over here that live there could attest to that. They could tell you that on the street corner where there used to be a church, it's now a pub or a library. See, we are called to live as sent out missionaries. But there's been a sweet shift, really, in the last 15 to 20 years in the United States, where people are grasping the fact, and it's hard for us to see, but they're grasping the fact that we do live in a post-Christian society. And the way in which we've done church doesn't really work anymore. It may work in Houston, Texas. It may work in Magnolia right now. But what's coming 
is not a church, a one-stop church. What's coming is not the attractional church model. What's coming is us living as sent out missionaries. That's what's going to reach people in your work, in your neighborhood, in your schools, where you do life. That's where Jesus wants you to be on mission. I want to show you this morning the mandate for this, the model of this, and the motivation for this. As we turn to Matthew chapter 28, perhaps a familiar passage, turn to Matthew 28. You'll see it up there on the screen. We want to start there. My contention on your worship guide, this is maybe new for some of you, but there's some blanks there. Um, our marching orders is, are to live on mission. Those are our mar- to live on mission are our marching orders. Read Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Let me show you this. And Jesus, this is a great commission, familiar to you. One of the problems sometimes with familiar passages is we forget uh, what they mean or we um, think of them in interesting ways. Here's Here's the great commission. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe or obey all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Let me summarize that like this. Our job as sent out missionaries is to make, mature, and multiply disciples. In the power that Jesus grants through his presence to the end of the age. Some of us look at that and say, yeah, but that was to the disciples. That's not to us. It says to the end of the age. That includes you and me. I wish we could get off, but we can't. This is the mission. This is the task in which God has sent us out on. This is what we do as the church. This is what you see all the way through the book of Acts. But here's the thing we do. We do interesting things with the Great Commission. We tend to either do one of two things, right? We, we, we tend to either think of this as evangelism and missions out there or just discipleship in here, in the church. And we disconnect those things in the Great Commission one way or another. And so what you see sometimes is you see a church that, if you could put a church and make it like a sumo wrestler, like you see churches that do one of, one of those things well but not the other right? You see churches that mature believers really well. They have programs and all kinds of things to help mature believers, and they just become like these sumo wrestlers. But you have the malnourished guy over here in the church that is not on mission, that is not making, that is not going, that is not a missionary in their church. You see that all over our landscape, We're either making or maturing, and not many churches multiply. One of the neat things about Christ Community Church to me, as I looked at this church and thought about this church, the fact that this church has already planted churches and multiplied leaders so that they could plant churches is an amazing thing to me. But that's the way we tend to look at um, the Great Commission. It's either evangelism or it's discipleship. And my argument is this, is, is when we think about making disciples, it includes both the going in that passage And making, that's the idea of making, is going to all the nations. By the way, nations is ethnic groups, so every ethnic group, we want them to hear the gospel. And it's also about maturing. And so we ought to have things in our church that allow believers in Christ and the household of faith to mature and grow. We want to be in the Word, in community. We ought to be learning and growing together. We ought to be understanding doctrine and growing in our understanding of who God is. But we also ought to be developing leaders here to be sent out. We ought to be multiplying community groups 
and multiplying leaders in this church. I want to show you a graphic uh, that I put together for the church I was at, and that's really small there. And so I'm going to look here. We're not recording that way. And so this, this is what I put together for our church in Houston. Some of these guys that are friends of mine are visiting, so they're going to recognize this. Um, the mission of the church up top, this is a lot going on, so just bear with me. I had like 10 slides, so I'm saving you from that, um, where I built it. So missions is the task in which we are sent out to accomplish. You see that in making disciples in the authority of Jesus, through the presence of Jesus, to the end of the age. And I parsed out making maturing and multiplying. So as a church, what we did is we asked these questions and we thought about these things. At C3, we do this. That's nice, C3. We do this by, and we had areas in which our ministries fit into the Great Commission. Let me say this. If you're at a church and they're not thinking about the Great Commission as kind of the way and the pathway in which their vision and mission and direction go, you might need to figure out a different place. Because we want to be a church that is making disciples and maturing disciples, and multiplying disciples. And so this is really a, a ministry grid in which we did that. And so we also ask questions about how are we doing. These are kind of metric questions, if you like that. Who are we serving, undermaking? Who are we serving in the community? Are we having gospel conversations with anyone? Are we supporting others in other places that we can't reach that they might see the gospel advance? This is missions. Is anyone coming to know Christ? And then under maturing, are our ministries helping people grow? Do we see fruitfulness in our ministries? How can we do this better? Do we see word community mission as happening? And then multiplying, are people being trained up? Are we sending anyone out? This is kind of the ministry grid that we use at Christ Community Church Houston to think about the Great Commission as a church. And so the marching orders for us as a church that Jesus has given to us to be sent out missionaries, making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. You know, when I think about this, I think um, about the people of God in the Old Testament. God gave them different marching orders, a number of different marching orders. When you come to the Old Testament, one of the things that you see is that you see Israel in disobedience, and they go into Babylon, and God does something really neat. He says, I'm going to send you back into the land. And I'm going to send you back, some of you, back into the land. I'm going to send you back into the land. And I'm going to have, give you favor with the king that you could go back and you could rebuild my temple. Because remember in the Old Testament, the fame of God was seen in his temple. The people of God were meant to be a city set on a hill, like the New Testament. They were meant to be a city set on the hill, living set apart, sanctified lives that the other nations would look and say, that's the God, that's Yahweh, that God is different. He says, there are, there are no other gods beside me. And so the temple became a very important place. And so God wanted to rebuild the temple. And so what he did, he moved in the king's heart in Babylon. And the king gave a number of people, allowed them to come back. He even provided the wood to be, rebuild the temple. And so they come back into the land. But guess what? There's some people in the land that don't like this. And so they, they experienced discouragement. They experienced persecution. So guess what they did? They stopped. They didn't build the temple that God had called them to build. They had given them the opportunity to build. And so when you come to the book of Haggai chapter 1, what you see is the people, because they were distracted and because they were persecuted, they stopped pursuing the building of the temple. But you know what they did? It looks like what they did is they used that paneled wood to build their own households. 
And so they began to take care of their own needs and their own household. In Haggai chapter 1, through the prophet Haggai, God says to them, why do you have all this stuff effectively? Let me, this is present day translation. Why do you take care of your own household when my house lays in ruin? What about my name? And he calls the people of Israel to consider their ways. These are exiles who come back, who live as sojourners, who come back into the land to make God's name great in the land again. And they're too busy. And they're too busy with their own stuff and their own households. And they get discouraged about the mission, so they stop. There's some pretty ripe application for our lives, isn't there? God has made us a people. He sent us out on mission. And he's given us the tools to do that. He's given us his spirit within us. He's called us to make much of him. Are we doing that? Perhaps we too need to consider our ways. Is there anything in your life that's drowning out the mission that God has you on as a sojourner here? Sometimes those are good things, right? It's a good thing to take care of your household. It's a good thing to take care of your stuff. Those are, can be good things. And yet here you see God's name not being magnified. And he calls the people of God whom he loved and continued to love, he called them to consider their ways. One guy said it this way, you will never be more free than when you abandon your own mission and get on mission, on the mission of God. See, our marching orders that Jesus has left us, the church, still today to the end of the age, is to make, mature, and multiply disciples. But what does this look like? What does that really look like? There's a blueprint for us to live on mission, and that's what you see in Acts chapter 2. Go to Acts chapter 2 with me. Let's read that again together as we mine that text, as we've been looking at word, community, and mission. Acts chapter 2. I want you to see the mission piece in here, and I want you to see how they pursued the mission of God as a community of believers built on the word. Verse 42 says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles, teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, as we talked about last week, and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all. As many who had need. Here's our, our primary verse today. And day by day, attending to the temple together, and breaking of bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Pray, here it is. Praising God and having favor with all the people. Praising God and having favor with all the people, the community. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who are being saved. Leave that verse right there for a minute. The blueprint for us to live on mission. If you look at the early church, what you saw was their commitment to word and deed. Do you see it there? Verse 47 says, Praising God and having favor with all the people. This is the community in which they live. About a month ago when I came and I preached, I read you a letter. I read you a letter from um, a guy who was an unbeliever living in the first century, and he wrote this letter to help explain to the emperor why Christianity, he thought Christianity was spreading. 
And what this unbeliever pointed to, if you remember, were the deeds of the saints, these believers who believed in Jesus. And that letter, I remember that letter, if you remember some of the things that I said, these are people in a community. They took the orphans in. They took care of widows. They fed the poor. They cared for the community. They were also people with their own that met needs, that knew needs in the body. When people were persecuted, they would give up food and fast for multiple days so that they could have food when they got out. They would help those get out of prison. They would care for one another. They would share their possessions with one another. Not because they had to, because of the generosity of their own heart. You see the early church being the hands and feet of Jesus. You see their deeds. You know, it would be really sweet. It'd be really sweet at some point if, if I got a letter, or you got a letter from the mayor of Magnolia, or the Woodlands, or Montgomery, or Conroe, and said, you know what, I know your church and other churches in the area care for the poor. They feed people. They care for people. They care for the orphan, the, the kid in foster care who needs a home. It would be a really sweet thing for the world around us and this community right here to see us and other churches being the hands and feet of Jesus and for a mayor to go, we see what you're doing, we need your help. That would be phenomenal. I'd love to see that. You know, when I was vetting C3, I've said that a few times, that's gonna, I'm going to stop doing that here in a few weeks, but when I was vetting your church, I wanted to know what the reputation of the church was. I wanted to know how people saw this church. And I continue to hear over and over and over that they take care of each other, they love each other, and they love this community. That's a sweet testimony that you have in this community. I'd love to see that continue and to press on. You know, um, the end of verse 47 is the other part. It's the word part. Where it says, And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I'd love this to be true, but it's not. Listen, our deeds are important. They soften people's heart to hear the gospel. They do. But I wish it were true that God converted souls because people just saw us, saw our deeds. But, but, but deeds don't have telepathic powers. In the New Testament, what you see is the gospel being a message that is heralded that is preached, that is shared with others. And that's what you see in verse 47. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. The way a person comes to faith in Jesus is that they hear the message of the gospel. The gospel, the word gospel is good news. Good news is meant to be shared. If you know Jesus, the gospel to you is like this d desert, desert place where there is no water and you find the oasis and you find the living water, and you find the bread of life, what do you want to do with that? To the person over there who doesn't see it, you want to share that. This is what you see in the book of Acts. When you get to chapter 4, you see Peter and John. You see them sharing the gospel, preaching the gospel, sharing it with people. And the officials in Jerusalem have a problem. They're like, hey, um, we don't know how to do this, but we want to stop the spread of Christianity. And so we need you to be quiet. You compassionate, loving people who care for orphans and widows, we need you to be quiet. We're glad that you're doing all these things in our community and doing community service, but we want you to be quiet because we don't like the spread of Christianity because it doesn't really fit with emperor worship. 
And you know what Peter and John and the people said? They said, nope, can't do it. I got to tell people of what we've seen and heard in Jesus. See, as Christians, we want to be a people who are about deed, but we also have to open our mouths and tell people about Jesus. This is what Romans says, right? I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God to salvation. It's a word and deed. And this is what you see in the life of Jesus, right? You remember on Emmaus Road, after Jesus has died, and he's, he's got this resurrected body, and somehow he's veiled from the dudes walking on Emmaus Road, and they're talking. And so Jesus asks them these questions, and veiling himself. And one of the guys says this, um, that Jesus was mighty in word. He was a prophet who was mighty in word and deed. When you get to Romans chapter 15, verse 18, you see Paul saying about his ministry that God um, afforded him. By the grace of God, um, there's a testimony that he had, and he spoke about the testimony, and, and he used the phrase, and I did this through wor word and deed, that God accomplished, accomplished through me in word and deed. And then you come to the book of Colossians, chapter 3, verse 17, and you see, in all things, in word and deed, do all in the name of Jesus, right? Word, deed, ministry. That's the blueprint for us to live on mission. Listen, um, for some of us, the word part is really challenging. Man, I've got to share the gospel with my coworker or my neighbor, and you feel the Spirit urging you to do that, and that's difficult, and you're going, I'm going to take, am I going to take the plunge? <laughs> am I not going to take the plunge? I'm just going to keep making food for them, and I'm going to keep serving them, right? I want to give you something simple, but something that um, is intentional. Um, if you've got it here on the screen, Mission 444, this goofy title, you can change it, I don't care. Um, but think about it in this way. I don't know if you've ever done this before. Maybe as a community group, you can come together and pray through this and think through this. Um, but think about four networks that you have. There's four networks, uh, family, work, neighbor, social. So the people in your family, the people you work with, maybe your neighbors, people you're socially engaged with, whether that's you're coaching uh, your son's soccer team, our football team or, or whatever team, um, people you hang out with playdates, with kids. Um, think about those networks, There's f those four networks. And then think about four people. And they could come from each of those or one of those, it doesn't matter. But think about four people in your life that don't know Jesus in those different networks. And think about these four tasks, if you will, if you want to call them that. Pray for them, maybe in your community group. You could be a community of missionaries and you can pray for one another. Hey, I want to pray for John tonight because he's my neighbor and I've been wanting to share Jesus with him. Pray for them, serve them, find out ways in which you can serve them and have reputation with them. Invite them, invite them to dinner, invite them to church, invite them. And then speak. Open your mouth and speak the gospel to them. And trust God that it's his work. That's the hard part, right? I don't want to feel rejection. I want to feel accepted by my family, by my neighbor, by my coworker, by somebody that I know. That's, those are some of the things that keep us from sharing the gospel. But if you believe that the gospel is something that God does, that God implants that in people's heart, that spirit moves in people's heart, that you don't convert people because you don't, that's the spirit's work then it makes it a whole lot easier when they reject you to know that they're not really rejecting you, that they're rejecting Jesus. And you can continue to pray for them and serve them and care for them. So that's just something real tangible. 
So there's the blueprint, there's the marching orders, but what's the end goal? I'm somebody who needs to know the end goal. I need to know what's the end goal of this mission. I need to know what's the point. The point is this, the fuel and end goal for us to live on mission is worship. The fuel and the end goal for us to live on mission is not mission. It's worship. This is what you see in Acts chapter 2 in verse 43 and 47. It says, all came upon them. And then they were praising God and having favor with people. There's worship here. Not only is there worship here, there's, if you look at all of Scripture, what is God's aim? Psalm 67, Gatlin read it earlier. If you could go there. This is God's aim for the nations. The purpose of missions is worship. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the people with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Selah, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. See, God's ultimate aim in all of life is that he is worshipped and praised. And the purpose of missions is that God might have more worshipers. This is what you also see in the end. This is what you see in the book of Revelation, right? Revelation chapter 5, verse 9 and 10. Speaking about Jesus and what Jesus has done on the cross. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you, Jesus, to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were God. You were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and every language. Think about the Great Commission and people, and nation, and you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Look at verses 13 and 14. To what end? And I heard every creature in heaven, on the earth, and under the earth, and in the sea, and all that is in them saying, to him, this is about Jesus, to him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb be blessing, and honor, and glory, and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders did what? They fell down and worshiped. God's aim in, the, in, in salvation is worshipers. And so, yes, we have a task. We have a mission. We have marching orders. We have a blueprint. But the fuel for mission and the end goal to mission is worship. This is what God's aim is in our lives. See, a failure to live on mission isn't likely in my life or in yours, it isn't likely a knowledge problem. It's a worship problem. I love teaching. I love teaching classes to people. or I love sitting down at lunch and teaching people how to share the gospel. Here's a method to share the gospel. You name it. Romans Road. Whatever. I love doing that. That helps equip the saints. That helps us have confidence to share. But long term, the motivation for you and me to share the gospel with someone isn't because I learned a strategy. Listen, it's because we want and know Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5 says it this way. We're compelled by the love of Christ to be messengers of reconciliation. Think about that. We're compelled by the love of Christ to open our mouths and be messengers of reconciliation. That's why we ultimately share the gospel. Because we love Jesus and want to worship him and know him. And we're compelled to share. Think about the things that you love. And think about the things that you talk about. Those two things work together. I love my wife and I love my kids. I love golf. I love my ranch. 
I talk about those things. You will hear me talking about my wife and my kids and golf. I haven't even used the illustration this morning yet. You will hear me talk about the ranch that I grew up on. Those are things that I love. I hope you hear me talking about Jesus, but you talk about the things that you love. So the way that we're motivated is by worship. We, we share and talk about the things we love. I see it on your social media page. I, I see it's this time of year, and I'm seeing it in even some of the way you're dressing. You got Texas Tech over here. You got Aggies over here. You got Longhorns. I'm sure we got some people from Louisiana around here too, right? This is what we, what we do. We, we talk about it, the things that we love. We do things for the things that we love and the people that we love. Before we're done with worship, I want to make a broader point about worship because worship is really the end goal in all of life, whether it's serving, whether it's coming on Sunday morning and singing, which is a form of worship we enter into with God as a church that we sing together. I want to make a broader point. This is God's goal in all things is that we be worshipers. Um, when you, we come in here on Sunday morning, we get to meet with God with one another. Listen, there's some days, I'll just confess, there's some days that I come in and my mind's going a lot of different directions. Have I done all I needed to do with the AV team? Do I have my sermon? Do I have it right? And so there are times where I'm looking at that rather than singing, Gatlin, I'm sorry. That's not good. That's not what I want to do when I come in here. You think about the, the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus was unveiled and they saw who he was. This is a time on Sunday morning that we get to come and worship the King of Kings and come before him and worship him and know him. And so I want to encourage you, as I have to encourage myself, to come ready for worship. Grab your cup of coffee, talk to your friend, but when we start to sing, this is a wonderful opportunity for us to meet with God. And there's something else going on, and I want the kids to be in here. I hope you know that I want our kids to experience worship once a week for an hour and a half. I want them to worship God for all he is. There's something that happens when your kid gets to observe you sing and observe you worship. And you only have a window. Empty nesters, am I right? You only have a window. And you can talk to them about the word. I hope you do. You can train them up when they sit down and when they wake up. You can raise them in the teaching and instruction of the Lord, but ultimately relationship is the aim, right? It is a beautiful thing. Think about those of you that grew up in church and you saw your parents worship. That can teach your kids more than anything you say, that you have relationship with Jesus. And so as you come on Sunday morning and your kids are in here, I know it's hard, I've got my own. Make it a deal, because when they turn 25, you want them to say, as far as it depends on you, right? God does the work in their heart, but as far as it depends on you, you want them to know what's important. You hope when they turn 25 and you ask them that really hard question, hey, what did you think mom and dad thought was most important in my life? You want them to say Jesus. You want them to say the word, community, mission, worship. I hope my, son, my sons and my daughter do not come and say, school. I want them to get a good education. I want them to do well in life. I hope they don't say sports, even though I want them to be disciplined and pursue the paths and the abilities and the gifts that God has given them. But I want my kids, not because I'm saying it now, William, but I want my kids 
to say when they turned 25 and I asked them that question, man, you, without a doubt, mom and dad wanted them to know Jesus and worship him. So, the fuel and the end goal of mission is not mission, it's worship. We delight in God. And the blueprint is word and deed and our marching orders are to make, mature, and multiply disciples. Let me close with this. Uh, Jeremiah is in exile in Babylon. Uh, the people there. Um, and, and, and God in the book of Jeremiah in chapter 29, verse 5 through 10 or so, um, what you see is God calling the people in exile as sojourners. You see God calling them to continue to live set-apart lives. So they're supposed to take wives that are from Israel in Babylon. Babylon's a really rough, worldly place. They're supposed to have houses together. They're supposed to live together. But guess what? That wasn't out in the birds. That wasn't out away from everyone. It was in the center of Babylon. And you see in, in, in chapter 29, verse 7, where, where God says this to the people through Jeremiah. He says, you need to seek the welfare, the shalom. Shalom is the idea of peace. Not just the lack of turmoil, but the peace with God. You need to seek the shalom of this city, for in their welfare is your welfare. In effect, God was saying, you're in Babylon. It's the worst place you could imagine, but I want you to be a witness here. I want you to live sanctified lives, but I want you to be a witness where you are. I want you to seek their welfare. Christ Community Church, how do we relate to the world? I'm talking about living on mission. There are different ways that we can relate to the world. And let me give you a couple of pictures for that. We can put on our boxing gloves and relate to the world. And we can just fight. We can pick it. We can fight. We can talk about how there was the good old days of our country, which there were. We can talk about how bad our country is. And we can just fight. We can fight with the world. Or we can put on latex gloves, which sometimes we are tempted to do and protect ourselves from the world around us and stay insulated from the world around us so no stains ever get on us. We can choose to live that way in the world as well. It seems really safe. Or we can choose to put on work gloves. We could choose to put on work gloves, word and deed, and live on mission. And I think this is what the Bible calls us to do that we need to be a people living on mission. We need to put on our work gloves and serve Him and know Him and get busy with the work of the Great Commission that we see modeled in the early church. And we need to do it so that God might be magnified in worship. When you think about heaven, you think about heaven and being in heaven, guess who's going to be there? The Word Himself is going to be there. Jesus is going to be there. You're going to hang out with Jesus. Guess what? You're going to have community. You're going to be with the saints. And you're going to have worship. If you're worried because we have four songs here, we're going to have a lot more in heaven. All right? The one thing you can't do in heaven is mission. God has given us the task to live as sent out people on mission. Let me pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for the opportunity to be ambassadors for Christ, 
to live in a foreign land and be on mission for you. Lord, I pray that this would not sound like a guilt trip. Lord, I pray that people would be moved by your spirit to experience the light and gladness and satisfaction in living the way God has designed us to live. When I think about 1 Peter and I think of, about that we are called to, to be a people who proclaim the excellencies of him who have called us out of darkness into your light. That we once were not a people, but now we are a people. We once had not received mercy, but now we've received mercy and your grace through the cross. Remind us of this truth as we see our coworker tomorrow, as we see family today, as we think about the neighbors that we live next to, as we think about it as a church. Lord, I pray that we would be a church that whoever comes to us that we would receive, whether they've moved here from somewhere else or transferring from another church, but I pray that we would be a church that sees people come to know Jesus and that you would grow this church by new people coming to know Jesus as well. We love you. We thank you for a time where we get to open your word and learn and grow. Lord, I thank you that Jesus is worthy. He is worthy of our honor and our praise. He is worthy for us to put on work gloves and get to work. In Jesus' name, amen.